Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. In concluding the cycle uh, on the life or the moment of Samson, this is really the high point of Samson's life. It's a wonderful chapter that focuses on him. Let me see if I can just draw some uh, points that I'd like to tell you. First of all, as you look at chapter 16, uh, it opens up on a very um, sad moment. Samson goes back down to Gaza. He he uh, engages with a uh, prostitute. He spends the evening up until midnight, and as he's being surrounded, he then uh, leaves, and um, he's able to just take the gates right off the hinges and carries them for 40 miles to Hebron, up 2,500 feet, you know what I mean? Now, uh, I mention this because in these first three verses in the Hebrew text, you see it a little bit in the English, but in the Hebrew text, four times the word night is found. He comes into Gaza, it's at night. He stays there till and at night. He wakes up at midnight. Four times the word night appears. And then when we get to chapter, verse 4, we're introduced to Delilah. Now, Delilah's name doesn't mean this, but her name sounds like the Hebrew word for night. The Hebrew word for night is Lila. Her name is Delilah. So what the writer is trying to tell us is Samson is moving further and further into the darkness until he finally finds himself in the night with the woman, a woman of the night. He has gone out of the light, as it were. God is still gracious. This is his man, remember. This is his judge. This is the one that he set apart from birth to death. But he's not walking faithfully with God at this moment, and really during the better course of his life. There's very little in his life that we can look at and say, there is a man of faith. And yet the book of Hebrews lists Samson, specifies him as a man of faith. And if he is one who is a man of faith, whose weakness was turned into strength, if there's one place where we see his faith, it's in this chapter. And that's why I wanted us to make sure that we took a look at it. When he goes to Delilah, this is a situation where Delilah now is approached by the rulers of the Philistines. That's a very important point. He's not, she's not just approached by the Philistines, but by the rulers of the Philistines. Now, there were five rulers of the Philistines because Philistine, which is in the land of Israel, the Philistines had settled along the coast. What is today the Gaza Strip is, for the most part, the area where the Philistines dwelt. And there were five major cities. It's referred to as the Pentopolis of the Philistines. You had the city of Gath, 
Um, It's Goliath who will come from Gath, who David will defeat. There's the city of Gaza where Samson finds himself right now. And Gaza is the principal city of the Philistines. There's the city of Ashkelon and Ashdod. These were two cities of the Philistines. Today, they're in the land of Israel, not in the Gaza Strip. And then there is the city of Ekron. There were five major cities. And these five rulers come to Delilah and they say, look, we want you to find out the source of Samson's strength. Now, that tells us something. They didn't know why he was so strong. If it was his physique, if it was because he was 6'5 and weighed 280 and, you know, and benched 780 pounds, they would have known where his strength comes. It comes from his physique. But they didn't know where it comes from because he wasn't built that way. In my estimation, he was no bigger than 5'6". And he, and he probably was just a very casual-looking guy with a high voice, you know. But when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he was amazing, amazingly strong. But it couldn't have been just his physical characteristics because they would have said, that's why he's so strong. But they couldn't figure it out. So they go to her and they tell her, the five of them, we will each, each of us, give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So I asked myself, in today's market, what would that be? Scholars tell us that 11 pieces of silver, probably we're talking about 11, 30 pounds of silver each. So if there's about 30 pounds of silver each, we're talking about 150 pounds of silver. Now, I went online and I said, so what is silver going for these days? You know, it goes up and down, up and down. And now it's on a rather downward trend. It's about $15 an ounce. So I did the math, I think correctly. And I mean, I ought to have called Barry because he would have figured it out like that. But it means that they were willing to offer her somewhere around forty dollars to $50,000 on today's market to find out why it is that he's so strong. But I don't think she was just greedy. Certainly she was greedy. But I don't think it was just greed. Remember, these are five rulers. I think she was also looking for acknowledgement, prestige. She wanted to be the heroine of the Philistines. And so she was willing to do what it would take in order to find out where his strength comes from. Now, what happens is he's with her four times, by the way, Samson will say these words. I think it's in verse 7, 11, 13, and maybe 18, something like that. He says, if you do such and such, I will become as weak as any man. And that was Samson's problem. He didn't realize that he really was as weak as any man right now. He always was as weak as any man until the Spirit of God came upon him, and now he wasn't as weak as any man. And there's a lesson in that. Remember, the Lord chooses the weak things of the world to confound the strong, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It is critical that we realize that what we all have, we have by the grace of God, and none of it is deserved. I know we think we've worked hard. We've earned this. We deserved it. That's exactly how Samson feels. He feels that he is strong, not that God has made him strong. And he says, well, you know, if you have freshly bound ropes and you tie me with that, that will do the trick and I'll become as weak as any man. So at night, he spends the night with her. We don't know how much time this 
overlapses. But he spends the night where he ties her up. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. And he busts out of the ropes. And she says, you know, you don't love me. If you loved me, you would tell me what it is that makes you so strong. Well, here you can see Samson starts weakening because now he says, if you take the seven locks of my hair, remember, his hair is not being cut because he made a Nazarite vow. He couldn't be near a carcass. He couldn't drink any wine or anything from the grapes, from the vine, and he was not to cut his hair. And he had seven strands of hair, uh, and they were all tied in like a, I don't know what you'd call it, what would you call that? Uh, Braids. And so he says, if you take my seven locks of hair and put them into the weaver's loom, I mean, you know, that's kind of a strange thing. Put them in the weaver's loom, and then my strength will be gone from me. So she does that, and he gets up, and he breaks the loom. Everything falls apart. Now the Philistines are saying, you know what, Delilah? He's not telling you. More time goes on, because now she really complains to him over a period of time, the text tells us. And finally, he breaks down. Now, why does he break down? You know, the first time she did this, wouldn't you figure it out what she's up to? Samson certainly knew what was going down. He wasn't foolish. He wasn't stupid. He wasn't unaware. But this is what happens when we experience successfulness and we think it belongs to us and we deserve it. No one can take it away from us. And we think that the, the strength, he thought the strength belonged to him. And thus, the last time when he says, if you cut off my hair... Then I will become as weak as anyone. Well, now she knows that he told her, the text says, everything in his heart. He exposed himself completely to this Philistine woman who means his downfall. And now she realizes, she can tell, he's really told me the truth. So now she has to convince the rulers to come because I got it this time, I'm telling you. And it says that they came with their money. They were convinced as well. And now when she says, the Philistines are upon you, he gets up and he knows his hair has been shaved off. He would not have not known that. He knew his hair was gone because it says that he got up and he was going to attack them. And it says, just as he did before. So he knew something was different. He knew his hair was gone, but he thought he still had his power. But the reason he didn't have his power was not because his hair was cut. The reason was because, and the text tells us, the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. Ah, so his strength did not come from his hair. It came from God. His strength was a gift of God that came as a result of the spirit of God when the spirit of God would come upon him. And here's the thing. Samson, though he did not have his hair, he had violated his vow. But he had violated his vow many times before. And for some inexplicable reason, nevertheless, God's grace was still extended to him. He still would become powerful. And you know what happens over time? We become presumptive about the will and grace of God. And we think that God, who gives his gifts to us, and as Paul says, they are without repentance. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He doesn't take them back from us. And you know as well as I do that God grants us certain gifts. And there have been times, I'll speak for myself personally, where I know that I did not walk in the way of God that I ought to have walked, and yet I'd get up and I would preach or I would teach, and people would say to me, 
what a blessing. You really touched my heart with this stuff. And you know, the danger of that is to think that God will always do that. I mean, sometimes God is gracious to us. Isn't that true? And we disobey him, but yet he doesn't just punish us, you know? Lightning doesn't fall and strike us, and God is still gracious. But there's no guarantee he will continue to be gracious like that. Samson's failing was to think that because God was gracious to him when he sinned against him in the past, he'd continue to be gracious to him. But God doesn't operate that way. See, the Philistines, and we do this too, think that God acts magically. They wanted to find out what it is that makes him strong. Was it his hair? Was it the things that would bind him? What was the magical trick that made him so strong? And they were wrong. See, the reason they thought that is because they were idolaters. And when you're an idolater, that's what you believe about things. The idol worshipers believe that if they did the right thing, the gods would be good to them. And if they did the wrong thing, God would be bad to them. And that's not the God of the Bible. It's true, God will judge, but he doesn't always judge, and he doesn't always judge right away, because our God's a gracious God, and he's a relational God. Now, because he's a relational God, there's no guarantees he'll act a certain way because we act a certain way. You could be as holy as you want. There's no guarantee God's blessing is going to be such that you're going to be successful in all that you do. Look at the life of Yeshua, 12 disciples. Look how obedient he was. Look at the death he endured. Certainly that was the will of God for him. But the point that I'm trying to make is there's no magical incantation which will require God to act in any particular way we might want him to work. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray, but when we pray, we shouldn't pray so we get things. We should pray so that we, our relationship with God is enriched. We shouldn't serve so that, so that we are given accolations and people see us. We should serve so that our relationship with God is deepened. We shouldn't give in thinking that if I give, God's going to bless me. No, we should give to deepen our relationship and trust in God. And if he gives in blessing to us, praise him. And if he doesn't, we still praise him. There's just no magicalness to it is what I'm trying to say. There's no principles that you can do that will guarantee God's going to do this in return. And so when Samson is disobedient, God still gives him strength. So why is it now he decides not to give him strength? Why is it at this point he says, enough is enough? Because that happens too. And I think there are two things here that occur. Number one is our God is a jealous God. And perhaps his love for Delilah was such that God said, I'm stepping in because I'm to be your first love, not Delilah or anything else. Maybe that was the thing that said, now I'm not going to assist Samson. But there's another possibility. You know, Samson was a, a judge and Nazarite set apart from God from his birth to his death. He belonged to God, whether a sinner or not. He was God's. And I think another possibility might be God will only allow his children to wander so far. And then he acts to bring his children home. And sometimes to bring his children home, It requires some very serious experiences. 
Sometimes it means very painful experiences. And Samson may have wandered too far now. And God's saying, it's time to reel him in. And in order to reel him in, I've got to make him weak and allow him to see he needs me more than he could ever imagine or think. And so now he allows the one who had raised the gates of Gaza to be imprisoned in Gaza. He now allows the one who could break anything that would tie him up to be shackled in his feet and in his hands. The one who would see what he would want and get it is the one now whose eyes were put out. The one who could take the jackals, tie them together, and have them burn all the crops is now reduced to slave labor in the grinding of the grain of those crops that he once destroyed. And then the text says something very interesting. But his hair began to grow. Of course, hair grows. Unless you're like some people. I won't name anyone, like anyone. But there are some that that will not happen. But for Samson, he was blessed. I don't know how old he was. But his hair began to grow. So why didn't the Philistines cut it? Why didn't the Philistines assign someone to Samson that said, whenever you see a stubble man, get the razor? Because they believed that once you violate God, you are now judged by him. That's the way idols work. That's the way the false gods work. That's the way the idols work in your life as well, you know? If you become greedy and greed becomes an idol of yours, wait till there's no money in your pocket. It will not forgive you and help you, you know? If prestige is the idol you serve, you will find out that there will be many, no matter how many letters you have after your name, who would disrespect you no matter what. Idols of all kinds. If your idols are addictive, whether they're drugs or sex or something else, they will end up ultimately turning on you and destroying you, never forgiving you or loving you or accepting you. That's how the Philistines, hey, if you violate Dagon, you will be destroyed. So they thought he violated his God. He broke his covenant, his relationship. God now will set himself as his enemy, not as his friend. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had called Samson from his birth to his death. And as such, he will see to it that his judge becomes the man of God that he would have him to become. And so his hair grows. Now, the neat thing that's so cool, and I want you to see this, is his prayer. This is the second prayer that Samson utters. And if you look at chapter 16, his prayer is wonderful because it now reveals to us just what he is like. Look at verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord. And, you know, I was sharing at our life group the importance of a pattern of prayer to help us pray regularly, a pattern. The Lord's prayer is a pattern. Pray to the Father about the Father. Pray to the family about the family. Pray to the Father about the Father. What do we pray about the Father? We pray about his person, hallowed be your name. We pray about his purpose. 
or I should say his program, thy kingdom come, we pray about his purpose, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we're to pray to the Father about the family. What do we pray about the family? We pray for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. We pray for pardon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, Samson shows us a pattern. I want you to see this. Look at first, number one, in verse 28. He prays to the Father about the Father. He uses three different Hebrew words. He uses the word, O Lord, Adonai. You'll notice it's with the big L, small O-R-D. O Lord, O Adonai, O sovereign God, master of the universe, the one who's in control of all things. He calls him Adonai Yahweh. The sacred name of God is translated, my translation is God here, but it should be Lord with all capital letters. But that would sound weird. Oh, Lord, Lord. But that's what he says. Oh, Adonai Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God, the God who I have a relationship with. Oh, sovereign God who loves me. And then later he says, strengthen me only this once, oh God. That's the word Elohim. That's the word of God for him being a powerful God. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And so as he prays, he acknowledges who God is. Now look at this. I want you to see this. He says, please remember me. Look at the humility now. He doesn't just wake up like he did before and expect his strength to be there. Now he, ple- he doesn't like plead with God, but he's humbled before God. Please, God, would you do this? And then he says, remember me. He doesn't become presumptuous about God. He says, don't forget me. Please remember me. Take notice of me. Pay attention to me. If you would, please do this. I have no guarantees that you will, and you, I have nothing to deserve that I would, and you don't owe me anything. But would you please simply remember me? And then look at this. And please strengthen me. Ah, his strength is not his hair. His strength is from God. And the strength that he had was always from God because the spirit of the Lord would come upon him to strengthen him. And so now he says, Lord, strengthen me. And look at this, only this once. There's his faith. And there he's saying, I only want it this one time. I don't deserve it. I should not even ask it. But would you just do this one more time? In the past, it was whenever. But now just once. And so he asks this servant to bring him over to the columns. And he puts his hands on them. And in faith, he pushes them. He had no guarantee God would strengthen him. He didn't say he felt the Spirit of God rush upon him like you read in previous chapters. Now he simply puts his hands on the columns and he pushes them forward. And the text tells us, and know that he's in the temple of Dagon, the false god of the Philistines. And the columns move and the roof collapses. 3,000 people are sitting on the roof. All the five rulers are gathered and they die. Men and women are gathered there as they're looking at Samson. And they come to their death as Samson does as well. God's grace manifests itself. And in faith, he demonstrates the presence of God. You know, Samson's the only judge who is defeated. All the other judges 
are victorious. He's the only one that's defeated. Samson's the only judge that operates alone. In the opening of the book of Judges, Othniel and Echud, they have others with them that, that join them in the defeat of their enemies. A person like Deborah and Brock, they have two tribes that face the Canaanites. Gideon has 300 men. Samson is the only one who operates alone. He's the only one who's defeated. He's the only one who is victorious at his death. And it made me think, what is so important about Samson is he becomes a foreshadow and type of our Messiah. Miraculous. Remember in the opening verses, as the angel of the Lord enables his mother, who is not able to have a child, to become pregnant so that Samson would be born. He's miraculously born. But I wrote down a couple of things, and let me close with this. First of all, he and Yeshua were both betrayed by another. He was betrayed by Delilah. He was betrayed by Judas. Both of them were betrayed for silver. Samson for 1,100... pieces of silver times five, so 5,500 pieces of silver, Yeshua for 30. Both were handed over to Gentile oppressors, Samson to the Philistines, Yeshua to the Romans. Both were tortured. Both were chained. Both were put on public display and were mocked. Both were asked to perform. The word there says that they had Samson entertain them. Not sure what that means. Probably dance around or something. Yeshua was also asked to entertain Herod, but he refused to do any miracles for him. Both died with their arms outstretched. Both appeared struck down by their enemies. But in that striking, they were victorious and destroyed their enemies. In the case of Samson... It was the number of Philistines. In the case of Yeshua, he destroyed the evil one and the power of sin and death. Both were saviors alone. Yeshua died for our sins alone on the cross. Samson was alone in the foreign temple. The difference, of course, is Samson's death did not provide redemption for Israel. Because he only began their deliverance, he didn't complete it. But Yeshua's death provides us with eternal life, and it completes our need. It saves us, and it provides for us. And one last thing. The text ends with Samson's family coming to bury him. Evidently, the Philistines respected him enough to allow them to take his body and bury it. And it ends the story of Samson. But for Yeshua, his death, in which family members, friends, were able to bury him, didn't end his story. In many ways, we might say it began it. Even as now in the book of Acts, it's the spirit of Messiah who is acting through the apostles and through his followers. And that's the story today. Just as the Spirit of God would come upon Samson in his weakness to make him strong, so the Spirit of God comes upon you and I in our weakness in order to make Messiah known and that others might see him. We celebrated the Lord's Supper this morning, 
And I wanted to close on this note of comparison because I want us to focus on who Yeshua is and what he does. Let me leave you with this. What is it in your life that is weak? Where are you weakest in your life? That's where God wants to show up most profoundly and to make you strongest. And secondly, let us not be like Samson who is presumptuous of God's grace. But let us be as we ought to be, as individuals who have experienced the grace of God and as a result of that grace, see him work in miraculous ways. So let's pray. I apologize for the time, but let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful, Lord, for your goodness toward us. We thank you for Messiah and his coming into our world. Father, may we, not, may we learn the lesson that Samson can teach us and that the book of, writer to the book of Hebrews focuses attention on, that by faith he takes ones who are weak, he makes them strong. Might we celebrate our weakness that we would celebrate and rejoice in your strength that will manifest itself through such weakness. May we, Father, be enamored by what Messiah has done for us, and may we rejoice in the great salvation he's provided. And so, Lord, if anyone here doesn't know you as Savior, may they find you as such. And for those of us who know you, Lord, may we be utterly dependent upon you always by your grace. For we pray in Yeshua's name. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.